Live from San Diego, California, we go live to the newsroom with your host, for Nick's Nerd. Uh, what up guys? Woo-woo, it's Christmas week. It is Christmas in three days, folks. Three days, Christmas coming at your door. But more importantly, tomorrow is Festivus. And a contribution has been made to the human fund in your name. I just uh, just wanted to let you guys know that. But yeah, hey, it's me, Nick, your host. Happy holidays. Um, happy holidays to all of you, no matter what you celebrate. And of course, most of us celebrate the new year in just a few short weeks. Uh, I know a lot of you are wondering where the years have gone. Uh, you're not alone in that. That's for damn sure. But, but yeah, no, we're having, we're having fun. We're having fun. And yours truly is now on multiple new sites to listen to the podcast. So if if you're new, welcome, welcome to the program. If you're, if you're old, uh, you can listen to it now on, on, uh, I can't talk. I heart radio that, that finally went through two and a half years later, three and a half years later. And you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Audible, all that good stuff if if you like. That's uh, now where you can find the show. All those links, of course, will be added to our website shortly. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm happy that you guys are here. And it is Nick's Nerd News. We're going to talk about Spider-Man. If you thought we weren't, I don't know why you would think that. Um... <laughs> no, we're going to talk about that. We're going to save that for the end of the show. Uh, just because, uh, spoilers, of course. And the other thing we're going to talk about, uh, not a whole lot of news going on. Just because it's uh, kind of dead right now, this time of year. But no surprise there. I mean, it's Christmas week. And what are you guys looking forward to? Are you guys happy for the holidays? I get a week off of work, so that is something I appreciate. Uh, people who don't, I feel sorry. Um, you know, this is a, a time of year when a lot of things should slow down and people should be able to spend time with their families and things like that. But, uh, uh, no, let's, let's just get right into it though. Right. Let's, let's not dilly dally. Uh, like I said, not a whole lot of stuff to talk about today. Just, um, just some, some few things stick around though for Spider-Man. Uh, we're going to talk about Hawkeye too. I know we've been kind of, uh, not really talking about it just because you know it's not that great of a show to be honest but let's let's get into it let's get into it shall we and we're always going to start with you know we're going to start with video games right let's 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 talk about what's going on in the video game world right let's 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 see let's see what's going on what's what what and of course we're going to talk about Halo, right? Halo is still dominating the conversation. It's been out uh, about 2 weeks now and I'm loving it. I'm loving the hell out of Halo and like I'm not even playing the missions. I'm having so much fun just exploring Zeta Halo and doing all the side stuff, rescuing marines, capturing FOBs, taking out high value targets. It it's it's 
are they high value targets anyway it's it's just a fun game like it is a fun game i am loving the hell out of it and it it's it's not what what you come to expect right i don't know if i said this a week ago or two weeks ago but it it's it's like the first halo on steroids like the that second mission when you first land on the ring you're going around getting the marines you got the warthog and you're just trying to like find out what's going on that's what this game is like so much it is so fun and i'm having a great time the villains are are well done the uh, the story is well is is crafted beautifully it's a gorgeous 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 game the 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 views and the sky boxes are amazing i mean they kind of always have been in halo and it, it's just it's nice to be on a ring again if if that makes sense it's it's nice to be on the ring the weapons play great the enemies are well balanced hard as shit in legendary though but it, it's just it's i'm having so much fun just playing the campaign the the semi-open world however you want to call it 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 if you were cautious about it i'm, I'm telling you right now it's worth it uh, if you haven't played halo in a long time it's a somewhat of a good place to to jump in uh, if if you've never played halo before again it's a great start in my opinion um at least you don't need to come in with 20 years worth of like lore to have to worry about but i'm i'm just it's it's so fun i'm loving it halo uh halo infinite i should say halo infinite is literally my game of the year my game of the year and speaking of gaming the year next week's show we will do a year in review it's either gonna be next week or the week after i haven't fully decided yet um we'll, we'll come to that though in the next two weeks you guys will know obviously when you're listening to it but but i am just whoo i am i'm am happy to get this show on the road and uh i'm sure you guys will be happy listening to it as well so that's halo infinite as i snap and you guys are probably like what the hell was that sound in the background but no i just i am loving halo infinite i am sticking to that as being my game of the year uh it's a solid 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 entry into the um solid entry into the franchise and speaking of halo we'll stick with this for a little bit here the halo tv show the one that's coming to paramount plus of course we finally got a full trailer it will be exist in a separate canon from the games and i i could have sworn this was clarified a long time ago but i guess either people forgot or people are just being really dumb about it but it was confirmed um via kiki wolfkill the executive producer of the show she's also uh i don't i want to say she's studio head no that's bonnie ross she's she's like in the like c-suite levels of, of 343 um and she said quote we're referring to this as the halo silver timeline as a way of differentiating it from core canon in both protecting core canon and protecting the television story and by that I mean being able to give ourselves the chance to evolve both and for both to be what they need to be for their mediums without colliding with each other, unquote. Um, and that was via Halopedia. I don't know, and a lot of people, I guess, are, like, worried about it. I'm personally not. 
obviously when they started making the casting announcements, it was obviously not going to be set in the main canon. But I'm okay with that because then we don't have to worry about them like rehashing game stories or stuff that's taken place in the books or things like that and them not jiving, right? Like we don't we don't want to see that. And it's fine with me. I don't care as long as it's good. And I've said this on multiple occasions now. I don't give a fuck what canon it takes place in as long as it's good. That's all that matters to me. As long as the covenant are brought in in some capacity, as long as it stays true somewhat to the canon or or like somewhat established however they want to do it, then I'm fine. Right? I mean, if they don't want to do anything with the outer colonies and and the 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 the, the, the I don't know what do they call the colonists fighting back whatever and go straight to the covenant, that's fine with me too. I don't give a shit, man. As long as it's good, as long as the covenant looks good on screen, and it doesn't look fake as fuck, I'm fine, man. That that's that's like I said, I'm fine as long as it's good, as long as it's good. That that's my mantra. And final bit of gaming news here, or gaming news. Final bit of Halo related news, I should say. We're not done talking about video games just yet. Well, the Halo first Halo Championship Series uh, event of Halo Infinite was this past weekend, and. Uh, It was the uh, HCS kickoff major Raleigh, so the major event in Raleigh. And it was the new season, like I said, for Infinite. It was a $250,000 tournament. Um, Optic, G2, E-United, and Cloud9 were all there competing. And the players had to play on dev kits. They were unable to secure enough regular Series Xs for the tournament that they all had to play on dev kits running in retail mode, which is hilarious. Uh, 343's esports lead uh, to here on Twitter said, heads up, quote, heads up, open bracket players. You'll be playing this week on Series X development consoles. They're functionally identical and will be operating in retail mode, so it's the exact same experience. They just look a little different. Why? Global supply chain shortage is real, unquote. That's actually really funny that they had to do that. Obviously, it was going to start happening um, as we still can't get a hold of of things. But it's it's funny that it affected a major tournament like this, especially one hosted by the publisher and the maker of the console themselves. And and it's it's even funnier because I was actually I finally watched the Xbox docu series that's on YouTube and other platforms and. They're talking about, like, back when the 360 launched and there weren't enough on shelves. I'm like, not like this. That's for damn sure. And, like, they had all these major events with 360s or the original Xboxes and stuff. And it's just, it it's funny because you think back to how different the world was back then. And it wasn't, it wasn't hard to do things, you know? But that was 15 years ago, and it was a different place. It was a different place. Anyway, anyway. So Nickelodeon All-Stars, right, launched on multiple platforms uh, without voice acting. Well, they've announced, the developers have announced that in a future update, they will be adding cross-play, finally, and voice acting. I don't know how you introduce that into a game months after release, but hey, bet it's a start. 
right? It's a it's it's a start. That's for damn sure. Better than nothing. And uh, Tencent, the large Chinese conglomerate, uh, owns several video game studios and and things like that. Uh, I think they're a tech. I don't know what they are to be honest. What they officially do, I'm pretty sure they are just a conglomerate. They have purchased Turtle Rock Studios, the, the the company behind Back for Blood, Evolve, several other games. So, it uh, looks like there's going to be a large cash infusion into Turtle Rock. And maybe they'll be able to make more games and add more features to games that, that people have asked from them before. And more stuff out of them. So, that, that'll be nice to see. And, uh, you know, last week... We talked about the um, the new Star Wars game, Star Wars Eclipse. And I, I told you all I had reservations because it's being made by Quantic Dream. Quantic Dream, their, their games are surface level, like thought-provoking and considered deep. And then once you get really into it, you realize they're, they're shit, right? They're not, they're not as good as, as what's perceived, right? And more information is, has come to light in the meantime. And what's been trending on Twitter and, and other places is hashtag blackout Star Wars Eclipse. And it has to do, I didn't realize this, people are actually boycotting Quantic Dream's involvement. Um, and it, it goes back to 2018 where French news outlets reported that uh, according to these outlets, Quantic Dream, quote, fostered, and this is from IGN, fostered a workplace culture for racism, sexism, and homophobia. Studio head David Cage and executive producer Guillaume de Fondemur, I butchered that name, were at the center of these allegations, unquote. Look, it's France. I'm not surprised by any of those allegations. Europe is way more fucking racist than, than, than America. They're just more open about it. You know, sexism, it's France. Not, not surprised there. They're still a little backwards, despite being a very free and open place. And homophobia, that, that I'm a little surprised by. But, like, no. If, if that, I'm honestly surprised, based off all that, I'm surprised that Lucasfilm even picked them to make a game for them. And uh, it's all stuff about uh, David Cage. Um, there were trials that went. One case was won by David Cage. Another was won by a French publication, Le Monde, who's a, uh, that they are a famous publication. But a lot of people are taking issue to this. And even major Star Wars uh, content creators online are, are just refusing. Star Wars Explained, a channel I actually really enjoy and love, is just not going to follow, is not going to cover the game at all. Um, ben is the worst, another uh, content creator um, who is a podcaster and a Star Wars creator is not going to cover Star Wars Eclipse. Um, Molly Damon, who again is part of Star Wars Explained. Oh, well, she's part of Star Wars Explained. So I'm not even going to get into that because they're this, they're, they're two parts of the same coin, essentially. Um, also, 
Clusis Katrina of a few different podcasts as well. Not going to cover it. So if you have major, major people who are part of the fandom and are, you know, people that Star Wars fans listen to and they're not going to cover your game, there is a problem. There is a major problem. Who cares if the game looks pretty? Like I said, Quantic Dream has a history of just not digging much deeper beyond the surface. And now it turns out that, you know, David Cage and Quantic Dream is just a fucking terrible place and shouldn't be making Star Wars games. So when the game comes out, we will... I am not officially saying Blackout Star Wars Eclipse. Uh, again, I don't know if I'm even going to buy it because I really don't want to give Quantic Dream my money <laughs> to begin with. Uh, we'll see what happens when the game releases. We'll see how th things change and what happens um, in regards to if David Cage is going to say anything about these allegations. We'll see if, if Lucasfilm makes any decisions, but the game industry is fluid. I'm not going to make anything right now. Um, obviously, we'll talk about some things in the future about the game, but of course, always, always with a grain of salt. So at, at this point, I'm not saying I'm not going to cover it, but it, I'm also saying just I will always make light of the situation when I do, just like I do with Activision as of late. So just be aware of that. I'm not ready to say no to the game, but I'm not saying that I'm, I'm for it or going to get it either. Like I said, I had reservations for it before this news came out. So, Quantic Dream is a pompous studio, and they, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Hades, a game that I love and own multiple versions of, has made history as the first video game to win a Hugo Award. Um, the Hugo Awards have been around since 1953. Uh, they are essentially are given to things that represent science fiction and fantasy the best. So like a lot of uh, science fiction books will win Hugo Awards, science fiction films, fantasy books, fantasy films, uh, different things like that. Those will all win Hugo Awards. Hades now uh, is the first game to be considered uh, or to win. Um, the Hugo Awards did not consider video games up until this year. Um, it, it will only be for 2021, unfortunately, though. Um, they might add it again in the future. Uh, they did say, uh, per the WSFS business meeting, uh, they are the ones who run the program, said, quote, been studying the possibility of adding such a category for several years now, unquote. Um... It is a permanent win, though. It's not just like a like a like a one-off win. Like they, this uh, uh, Hades is a Hugo Award winner forever now. Um, it beat out Animal Crossing: New Horizons, Spirit Far, Final Fantasy VII Remake, The Last of Us Part Two, and Blaze Ball, um, which is awesome that it, it won. Like I said, I I love 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 Hades and sing its praises. There's a reason I have like a copy of it for like every platform. Um, and it's, it's been winning awards everywhere, but it's, it's nice to see the Hugo awards recognize it 
because the Hugo Awards are for that sort of thing. Um, Ghosts of, Sus- of Tsushima is getting a movie. And it is being directed by Chad Stileski. And if, if you're wondering why I say that name, acting like you should know it, well, he's been mentioned on this program numerous times before. Uh, he worked on all of the John Wick films, or the first two films. He worked on Birds of Prey and some other films. He's a great action director. He is going to be directing the Ghosts of Tsushima movie. And he said... He wants to make sure that they get it right. He, he knows and understands that video game adaptations tend to be shit and fail and don't do well. Um, he is committing to making sure that the movie does well because he wants to make sure it is told right and works right. And and he, he knows that and he wants that to make sure that they keep that in mind when they're making the film. And I know a lot of filmmakers say that. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see if it actually gets executed, because you can say that all you want, but we'll see if it actually comes through and happens. Um, anyway, uh, before we get to our final story, I, I want to talk about the Embracer Group, right? They've been buying up studios left and right. They own something like 40 franchises or some nonsense, and now they've bought another major media company in dark horse comics yes the embracer group has purchased dark horse comics and honestly now it seems like they are just trying to make dark horse comic video games hellboy video game probably that that's all they've been getting for man the embracer group they're literally just buying up everything at at this point but uh, our final story and in gaming at least it, it has to do with Ubisoft, right? We've been talking about Ubisoft kind of bit for the last few weeks. Uh, they've been kind of fa- facing an internal reckoning. Uh, similar to, to Activision Blizzard, but not on the same scale. Um, Yves Guimau and, and the other higher-ups at Ubisoft have been a little bit better in their handling of things. And it looks like now uh, Ubisoft has, has put out uh, this is per Axios that Ubisoft is seeing like massive turnover at a rate they've never seen before. Uh, and it's been over the last 18 months between lower mid-level employees, big names. And so per this too, five of the top 25 people credited with work on Far Cry 6 are gone. 12 of the top 50 credited names from Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um... And a couple employees have told Axios that it's either st- slowing or stalling projects completely. <laughs> I wonder if Skull and Bones is ever going to come out now. Uh, yeah, that's funny. Uh, but it's mostly been at their Montreal and Toronto studios in Canada. Um, per LinkedIn, they're down at least 60 total people in, in the last six months. Uh Departing employees have told Axios that it's Montreal mainly um, because of uh, it has to do with competing offers from other studios um, in the area. Um, but I guess uh, Ubisoft does offer across-the-board pay increases. Uh, they've done that recently to, to kind of keep people in-house, right? Obviously, companies are going to do that if they're bleeding people. 
Um, and uh, most current and former employees have told Axios the reason they're leaving or want to leave is low pay, frustration at creative direction, and their unease with how the top of the heads of Ubisoft have handled the Me Too stuff that's been going on. Um, and and it, I don't know. It's been happening a lot. Uh, a former employee is quoted as saying, they constantly emphasized moving on and looking forward while ignoring the complaints, concerns, and cries of their employees. The company reputation was too much to bear. It's legitimately embarrassing, unquote. Um, Ubisoft has responded to the Axios report saying their attrition rate um, is just a few percentage points above normal. LinkedIn says it's 12%. Uh, they also say it's within industry norms. Um, Activision Blizzards is 16% per LinkedIn. EA's is 9 Take-Two is 8 and Epic is 7 uh, The average industry attrition rate for games industry as of January of 2020, though, was 155 um, Ubisoft then all went on to say they've hired 26 workers, 2,600 workers since April. Um, and also through Axios, though, they have hired at least 4,500 over the last two years. So it's interesting to see this kind of push and pull. Like I said, they're, they're not the same as, as Activision Blizzard in, in how they're handling things. Yes, they are saying they're doing things. I... It seems like they're doing more based off what employees are saying they're not, which I'm a little concerned about. Uh, my my adherence, though, to not being happy with Activision is not the same at Ubisoft because at least Ubisoft is more upfront and open about how they handle things. Yves Gamow is very apologetic and under, seems to be more understanding, whereas Bobby Kotick at, at Activision seems to just be like, doesn't give a fuck. And seems to put his foot in his mouth every chance he gets to make a statement. So, but again, if more shit comes out about Ubisoft, my they're going to be in my crosshairs too. I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not blind loyal to Ubisoft. You know, it's it's not. If if they're going to pull shit like like Activision Blizzard, they're going to be on my shit list too. It's it's just, it seems on the surface they're handling things a little better. But now more reports are saying they're not, which is frustrating and upsetting to hear. Especially when, when gaming culture as a whole is is trying to reckon with itself and make sure that, you know, moving forward it's a more great place to be, you know. But again, we'll see what actually happens. Anyway, anyway, heavy duty content. Let's move on. Let's talk about what's going on in the TV world. Here's a sentence I never thought I'd hear myself say. Probably never thought you'd heard yourself hear or read. The Goonies is getting a TV series on Disney+. Plus, But it's not what you're thinking. Apparently it's going to be a show revolving around a teacher helping their students make a shot-for-shot -shot remake of The Goonies. And if you're sitting here questioning, like me, why this is a thing, we're probably not alone in the universe. And I'm sure there's a lot of people wondering why this is a thing, why this got greenlit, and why it needs to be a TV show. That is all. <laughs> uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reboot 
uh, or however you want to call it, will premiere on Super Bowl Sunday. So that will be the first Sunday in February for those of you not in the NFL fandom. Uh, so if you don't watch football or you don't watch the Super Bowl, that is the first Sunday in February. That is when the uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reboot will occur. Um, moving forward, as I drop everything, uh, Amazon has announced that they want to keep making the Wheel of Time until they cover all 14 books. Uh, the Wheel of Time's first season on Amazon Prime is getting very good reviews. Um, and a TV adaptation, of course, will take a long time. But in an interview with IGN, uh, Amazon Studios co-head of TV, Vernon Sanders, said that, uh, quote, our ideal is to work with showrunner Roth Rafa Judkin and the team on the full thing. Obviously, that's a ways down the road, so we're focused on where we are right now, and Rafa and the team have just shared the first few episodes of Season 2, and I wish I could get those out to everyone right away. They're just, they're great. Unquote. Um, which, again, is pretty crazy that they want to spend all that money. They It's already becoming one of the most expensive shows that they've um, they've ever produced. Obviously, that's going to be more expensive with the Lord of the Rings when it happens. But uh, very high praise from Amazon for them to want to stick behind a series that cover 14 books worth. We'll see if that actually happens, though, and if the audience sticks around. Uh, and then our final bit of uh, TV news here. I want to talk about last week's Hawkeye and what it's setting up for the finale, which aired today. We will talk about next week. And that is with what happened with when Yelena went spying on Kate's mom. And she took a picture of Kate's mom with none other than Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. the Kingpin. Obviously, it was hinted at a couple weeks ago with Uncle and the laugh that was totally Vincent D'Onofrio. And then, of course, Kevin Feige last week said that Charlie Cox will be back as Daredevil, which we're going to talk about that too later. But yes, Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. the Kingpin, is back, baby, and more than likely will appear in today's finale of Hawkeye, which we will talk about next week. The other thing I want to talk about, Hawkeye, and it's, it's, it's not great, it's okay as a show, uh, they they did focus a tiny bit on on Yelen, Yelenka to, or Yelena today. Uh, Yelena being Natasha's sister. If you watch the Black Widow movie, you would know that. And it turns out she was blipped or snapped or however you want to refer to it. And it was really interesting in the way they showed it because it's it's very different from how they've showed everyone before. But essentially, she walks into a bathroom to wash her face. She notices the water pouring through her hands turning to like the dust and then reforming and just being back in the room. But the room she is in has now changed color completely And the way they, they portray this on the screen is really cool in the show, but it, it's something that they've, they've never shown before for the, um, you know, for people coming back after Tony snapped them back or Hulk snapped them back into existence. And that in reality, in their reality, they were only gone, they, like, no time transpired for them. Five years for everyone else was one or two seconds for those that were blipped, as they're calling it, I guess. 
And for us to finally get like what it looks like literally just going through that was really nice to see. They've, they've shown somewhat similar stuff this whole time, but for us to finally get it was, was really good. And it, I wonder how, uh, now I'm yelling, I wonder how that like affected people who were maybe crossing the street and got blipped and hopefully they didn't get hit by a fucking car when it was driving by when they came back into existence. I mean, we saw in Far From Home, the last Spider-Man movie, you know, the, the band reappears uh, while there's like a basketball game going on. It, 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 it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to say the least. And, and honestly, I don't know how many of these stories we're going to be getting because I think now in the MCU, we're at least, I think a year and a half or two years from when everyone returned. Um, so if you remember the first movie after Endgame was Spider-Man Far From Home. And that was, you know, obviously the first movie post Endgame where I think it took place. I want to say like fall of 2023 when they, when, when they come back. Um, and then of course, WandaVision is November. Hold on. Let me see if I can find MCU timeline. Um, because lately they've been kind of getting a little wonky on the years. Um, and they don't really show them anymore. Um, which is a little frustrating to, to uh, because it's like, how are we supposed to know when this is taking place? Um, there's a 2077. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in Loki. Uh, <laughs> um, so 2023 is when the battle of, uh, I don't know what they want to call it, but this is, hold on. Okay, here we go. So... Avengers Endgame essentially takes place in October of 2023, uh, which means that the, um, what's it called? Uh, no, uh, Far From Home takes place in uh, summer of 2024, which I think that means WandaVision is the next year. Hold on, I'm looking here. So all that is... October, the Battle of Earth, they're calling it. Real interesting. And, okay, so that's October, October, November. Oh, okay, never mind. November, the month after, um, the month after Endgame is when WandaVision takes place. So that one is technically first uh, in, in terms of chronology. Um, so all that happens in November, and I'm guessing early December. No, that's all November of 2023. Then, of course, let me see where we're at with everything else. I don't know why Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is on here. That is not MCU canon anymore. Okay, so that's the last thing we know about with 2023. Let's go to 2024. Which means Hawkeye then is at the end of 2024. That makes more sense. Okay, so here we go. So Shang-Chi is February and March of 2024. Um, and all through April. What? Really? What is this? What show is this? Okay, and then you have... Uh, April is also the month 
April 2024 is when Falcon and the Winter Soldier takes place. Then you have June. Um, okay, so June and July is when Far From Home takes place. So summer of 2024. Then, so all that's happening. June, July. And, okay, so we're moving forward here. Still, you know, far from home. London. November. Oh, interesting. So, this is really interesting. November 2024 is when Spider-Man happened. Or Spider-Man No Way Home happens. So, this is all taking place before... Hawkeye, interesting. So Hawkeye takes place in December of 2024. And interesting. I don't think we have anything set in 2025 then. That's really strange. I didn't know they were going to put... Um, I, I didn't know they were going to put that there. And then, of course, the no, the next thing we know that happens is 2050 when, according to the Loki series... During the TVA, uh, there's a hurricane that wipes out a town in uh, the Carolinas, I think. The Roxcart Mall was um, Haven Hills, Alabama. Excuse me, in Alabama. That's 2050, according to Loki. <laughs> but nothing in 2025 yet. I'm guessing that's what's going to happen in Doctor Strange and all the future films of the MCU. All the Phase 4 stuff. That's still yet to come. Getting back to the point I was making, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of stories about characters that were blipped or snapped or coming back or anything like that now that we are literally a, a year removed from it. I'm sure we'll see one or two more, but I, I think that will be it from then. That is it for TV this week. Let's talk about movies, right? This is where we're getting all our fun stuff today. Guillermo del Toro has finally uh, spoken about the Pacific Rim sequel that he never made. And uh, speaking with the rap, he revealed his plans. And he said, quote, The villain was this tech guy that had invented basically sort of the Internet 2.0. And then they realized that all his patents came to him one morning. And so little by little, they started putting together this. And they said, oh, he got them from the precursors the guys that control the kaiju. And then we found out that the precursors are thousands of years in the future. They're trying to terraform, trying to reharvest the earth to survive. Wow. And then, and that they were in exo bio suits that looked alien, but they were not. We were inside and it was a really interesting paradox. Unquote. So, apparently, what we found out According to him, in his story, humans are wearing those the suits that look like aliens that are apparently the precursors who are actually in the future and we're sending back the kaiju to re-terraform Earth and the kaiju are human creations from the future. That's definitely a wild fucking movie. And it sounds a little better than, than what we got. I, I don't know. That That's up to you to decide Guillermo always has the most outlandish wild ideas for movies though 
So, I mean, more power to him, though, right? Like, the man wants knows what he likes to do and likes to what he likes to write. So, I'm I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. I'm all for Guillermo doing whatever the hell he wants. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Very, very interesting for sure. Um. Anyway, moving on. Kick-Ass is also getting a reboot now. Uh, it looks like uh, they weren't super happy with with where it was going with the first f- two movies. So now we're going to get some extra Kick-Ass and a full reboot. Um, I don't know. I liked the, the first and second one. Uh, but Matthew Vaughn, the director of both, says it's going to be more controversial. Uh, speaking with Collider, he said, quote, We've got a big reboot of Kick-Ass in two years. Big reboot. Um, it's so fucking nuts that I can't talk about it. But we've got that ready to go. All the rights revert back in two years, and then we're going to reboot it where people will be like, he is insane. Uh, because, and when asked about, unquote, and when asked about Kick-Ass 3, he said, quote, Because I think the clue is in the title. I think Kick-Ass became a new type of genre. Everyone was like, oh, you can't make R-rated superheroes. No one will want to see R-rated superhero. You can't do this. You can't do that. So I had this idea, and that was so nuts that I went, yeah, great. It'll cause just as much controversy, and everyone will talk about it, and as many people will that love it will hate it. I'm not saying it hasn't got the characters in it and won't have, you know. I'm just saying it's not what anyone could be imagining what it is, and I'm going to need one very... Very brave actor or actress to play the new kick-ass because it will scare the shit out of them, unquote. Matthew Vaughn is a crazy man. And obviously if he's still making the, the Kingsman movies as well. So there you go, folks. You heard it here. Matthew Vaughn is going to go fucking nuts with, with kick-ass, whatever the next kick-ass movie is. That's a wild statement. Anyway... Uh, according to both Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal, the next Spider-Man movie may already be in development, and that would be Spider-Man 4, and they have said that it is, quote, actively beginning to develop, unquote. I don't know what that means, uh, considering Tom Holland said he might take a break from acting. Uh, they did say, quote, to the New York Times, I guess, quote, we're producers, so we always believe everything will work out. Pascal said, I love working with Kevin. We have a great partnership along with Tom Rothman, who runs Sony and has been instrumental, a great leader with great ideas. I hope it lasts forever, unquote. Kevin Feige went on to say, quote, actively beginning to develop where Spider-Man's story goes next, unquote. Um, and then he also went on to say, quote, Amy and I and Disney and Sony are talking about, yes, we're actively beginning to develop where the story heads next, which I only say outright because I don't want fans to go through any separation trauma like what what happened after Far From Home. That will not be occurring this time, unquote. So, uh, and then they go into some spoilers related to uh, No Way Home, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Before we get too deep into the reads on Spider-Man stuff, though, I, I want to talk about the Batman. And... I, I, at one point, was very excited, and now I'm a little more concerned. Matt Reeves is starting to say things that are not sounding great to me. To me. Might be great to someone else. To me, they're not. 
And his newest thing, uh, and this has to do with an interview with Empire Magazine, is uh, Matt Reeves has said, quote, When I write, I listen to music. And as I was writing the first act, I put on Nirvana's Something in the Way. That's when it came to me that rather than make Bruce Wayne the Playboy version we've seen before, there's another version who had gone through a great tragedy and become a recluse. So I started making this connection to Gus Van Sant's last days and the idea of this fictional version of Kurt Cobain being in this kind of decaying manner. In that movie, you really could feel this vulnerability and desperation, but you could also feel his power. I thought that was a great mix. He's also got that Kurt Cobain thing where he looks like a rock star, but you also feel like he could be a recluse in uh, response to the Safdie Brothers' good time, unquote. Look, this is not the thing I want to hear about Batman. This is not... We This is not the Batman we want, okay? I understand Batman and Bruce do all these things. We got that already... In Batman Begins and uh, The Dark Knight Rises, right? Like, he's a recluse in that one. We don't need that shit. He's a recluse in in, in Justice League and, and all this other bullshit. Like, w- enough with the recluse, depressed Batman. Yes, Batman broods. Does he need to be inspired by Kurt Cobain? No, because that's depressing as shit. Like, I don't want a lighthearted Batman. I don't want that. But I don't also, I don't want a depressing Batman. Uh, Robert Pattinson said in the same interview, quote, Bruce has been hiding away. He's not really a socialite at all. He's building all these little contraptions and things just with Alfred. And even Alfred thinks he's gone insane. He's been out, unquote. I And then he also said, quote, he's been out every single night for two years getting beaten up and shot, and stabbed, and burnt, and it shows. There's a bullet graze on the cowl right at the beginning. I don't think that's been done before, unquote. It hasn't been done before because it's not necessary. Like, obviously, Batman... Oh, my God. Just now now you're making me not want to watch a movie I was really excited to see. We're also learning that this is going to be an origin story for for um, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman. Uh, so it is an origin story for Selena, and that I'm okay with, but, oh god, they were watching cats and lions on how they fight. Oh my god, this movie, I don't know if they're trying to justify it not being good or or what's happening, but I just don't want a depressing Batman movie. It can be dark and brooding and moody, it just can't be depressing, please. Please, please, please. And I hope it's not pretentious. I really don't. That's the... God. I'm worried. I'm very worried. Very worried indeed. Uh, Sticking with DC though. um, The Flash has announced that it is adding both General Zod and Faora back to the cast and back to the universe. Uh, Michael Shannon has been added to the cast list. It is very surprising considering Zod has been essentially killed twice now in the, in the DCEU. So obviously we're going to visit some kind of Flashpoint situation. Uh, Michael Keaton has also been added to the Batgirl cast. Despite the fact that that is uh, supposedly taking place in the main DCEU timeline. Uh, which also then lends 
credence to the theory that Michael Keaton will be taking over as the main Batman in the DCEU. Uh, and Ben Affleck's is out, but it's weird because the Commissioner Gordon in that one is played by uh, um, J.K. Simmons. So that's interesting. And then Blue Beetle, which was originally only going to be on HBO Max, has now been moved up to a full theatrical release, which is very exciting to hear that. Um, do you want to talk about a couple other movies? Uh we also in Empire, we got a new image of a new dinosaur for Jurassic World Dominion. That is a new raptor called the Atrociraptor. And no, it is not a hybrid dinosaur. This is a real dinosaur. Well, at least it, the Jurassic World's interpretation of it. Uh, John Wick 4 has been moved, delayed, I should say, a full year almost to March of 2023, despite filming being done for the last month. Um... And then some more Marvel snooze here. Uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, the director of Shang-Chi and Shang-Chi 2, has expressed interest in bringing Jackie Chan in for the sequel. He really wants Jackie Chan in some capacity for the film. What I would like to see is Jackie play a villain for the first time. I don't know if the Chinese government would, would, let, would let him, but I would love to see Jackie play a villain for once. He's always the hero, never the villain. Uh, and then we got our first trailer for Doctor Strange 2. Uh, technically, it was an end credit scene in Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, but they went ahead and released it uh, yesterday or today. Uh, it is a little different than the one that was in the movie, and uh, it was literally at the end of the credits. But no, this, this one shows off America Chavez and her war reality warping powers. Uh, Baron Mordo is back with a new hairdo, essentially telling Steven that he broke the multiverse. Uh, Wong being very cautious as the new Sorcerer Supreme. We saw an evil version of, of Doctor Strange, which everyone thinks is Strange Supreme. And also, like, it has, there's this effect on the city where it's like melting, of a lot like what happened in What If in the Strange Supreme episode. So a lot of people think that this is going to be a, a, a crossover with What If. Um, and also, we finally get to see the Scarlet Witch, Wanda Maximoff, post the events of Westview, post WandaVision, and it looks like she's not secluding herself in a cabin in the woods anymore. That's for sure. Uh, we'll see what happens with Doctor Strange 2 when it releases, I think, May? I think it got pushed to? I don't remember. Uh, and then, before we talk about spoilers, uh, No Way Home. Uh, initially thought as the third biggest box office opening, has been adjusted to now be the second biggest box box office opening in U.S. history, pandemic or otherwise, earning $260 million in an opening weekend. The only movie in front of it, Avengers Endgame. It has also gone on to make $600 million worldwide globally, placing it third at biggest box office opening weekends. No Way Home is a fucking powerhouse, folks. A bull in a china shop. And if the Matrix thinks it's going to dethrone it, it's not. Because people are going to watch the Matrix at home. Uh, <laughs> no. Spider-Man No Way Home is a gaunt... Is a gaunt it's running the gauntlet, I should say. Um, that is mostly it for Nixner News. Uh, there are, we are going to talk about the review of Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, 
Fun fact, I loved it. It's 11 out of 10. It's the best MCU movie. In my opinion, I think it's the best one of all. I am going to let you guys listen to that if you haven't seen the movie. Because I'm going to go into spoilers now. So, be fair warned, I'm going to talk about spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home. If you haven't seen the movie, come back and listen another time. Hear my thoughts. If you don't mind listening to spoilers, more than welcome, stay and listen. If you have seen the movie, stay and listen. We're going to get into it a bit here. Other than that, if you guys are going to come back later, thank you for listening this week. Uh, as always, check out nixnerdnews.com. You guys can listen to us on on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Pod, Amazon Music, and now iHeartRadio. So you guys can find us on all of those platforms. Uh, also, make sure to check out our socials. Check out Nixner News on your preferred social media platform of choice. And with that being said... We're going into spoilers. This is a spoiler warning. This is a spoiler alert. Please, please, please click away now if you do not want Spider-Man No Way Home spoiled. All right, you've had your fair warning. I'm going to talk about it. Like, you should have clicked away. But everything that's been an open secret at this point is true. And I'm just going to say it now. Toby and Andrew are in the movie. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, the the movie starts off literally where Far From Home ended, uh, and then it, it proceeds to go on every every a few months into the school year, things like that. Peter gets charged by damage control, and his lawyer is none other than Matt fucking Murdoch. Yeah, boys and girls and everyone else, you heard me. Matt Murdoch is in the movie, albeit only for like a minute. But now that's two characters from the Netflix Marvel semi-canon universe now back in the MCU with Kingpin and Daredevil. And it's so funny because they're sitting around talking about Peter's case. A brick gets thrown through the window and Matt just fucking catches it. And it's from behind him. And Peter's like, how'd you do that? And he's like, I'm a good lawyer. He's fucking Daredevil in the MCU, people. Oh, God. Oh, God, he's coming soon. I can feel it. I can feel it in my veins. But no, it's good. And then, all this time... Let's just say this. The plot of Spider-Man No Way Home is essentially just the Spider-Man version of the movie accepted. It, 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 It literally is all because Peter and MJ and Ned do not get into MIT. And shenanigans ensue... Because he didn't try to make his case. And it took Doctor Strange to be frustrated with Peter and how the spell was working. To him be like, why didn't you just try to appeal it? And Peter's like, I can do that. And then everything flows from there. The first breakout to happen is... uh, So obviously the spell gets fucked up because Peter keeps saying, oh, and this, and this, and this. And Doctor Strange's like, you can't keep doing this, blah, blah, blah. Universe gets fucked up. Spell gets contained, right? Peter goes off to try and make his case. That's when Doc Ock shows up, and this is what we've seen in the trailers. Their fight, he steals the nanotech. Hey, you're not Peter. Um, Green Goblin shows up, and no, uh, uh, Doc Ock goes, Osborne? And then they get portaled away by Doctor Strange. 
it turns out Peter is able to take over Doc Ock because of the nanotech, and it literally takes over the 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 arms. So that's how they capture Doc Ock. And in the meantime, um, Doctor Strange has already captured the lizard. So they're in this prison, whatever they make, underneath the Sanctum Santorum. From there, you know, other things happen. And then Peter goes to essentially look into like a facility being destroyed somewhere upstate. And this is where we encounter Sandman and Electro for the first time in the film. They both have come into the same spot in in the MCU for some strange reason. And Sandman first lines when he sees Spider-Man, it's like, Peter, it's me, it's Flint Marco. How do we help? He's like, ho, 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 I'm not your Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. Um, and this is after Doctor Strange has already given him this crazy web slinger. So he shoots Electro who like disappears and Sandman's like, whoa, what the hell? And, and, uh, he's like, I, I don't trust this. And anyway, they all get put in prison, right? Obviously Norman's still floating around. They don't know each other yet. Cut to the next day. And we see Norman now, uh, hiding as a glider and arguing with the green goblin mask, which is a great callback to, the original Spider-Man movie, right? Where, like, it was a split personality. He destroys the masks. He ends up at Feast, talks to Aunt May. Peter goes there. They meet. They talk. Norman's his normal self. Even says, I'm something of a scientist myself line, which is fucking great that they acknowledge the meme. But this is where it gets really interesting. The villains start talking to each other while they're in the prison. And this is this is one of the things I love about this movie. Is they're all able to like be confused and interact and ask the right questions, right? Norman and Otto obviously know each other. Otto's like, no, you're dead. You died years ago. And then Sandman goes like, no, it's true. But you're dead too to Otto. So at this point, we've established that Technically, we've pulled from three different points in time from the Tobyverse, right? Or whatever we're going to end up calling it. Then they find out that the lizard talks. So Dr. Connors, he knows Max, who is, his, who is Electro, right? And they're talking about how they are from a different universe. And he's like, no, you're... He's like, but Dr. Connors is like, Max, do you know if I died, right? So it's this, this interesting dynamic seeing the villains interact with each other and not and realizing that either a they're from different points in time or b they're from different universes entirely so now the the heroes start to understand they're all from different universes it's also at this point that the conflict with dr strange and peter starts dr strange wants to send them back and they're all going to die obviously the villains are not cool with that Peter doesn't want them to go back and die either. He thinks he can fix them. So this is where that whole scene with like the trains and the um, Grand Canyon and stuff. So Peter traps Doctor Strange in the, the mirror universe or the mirror dimension. I think that's what it was. So that way he can work with them in Happy's condo full of Stark tech. So this is this is essentially how the, the villains all get upgraded. And this is where Dr. Connors makes a great point about the movie. He says, 
You can't fix people. There's always consequences. And this is when the shit starts hitting the fan. So they, they go into Happy's apartment. He has Stark Tech. All the villains learn about the crazy technology in this, this world that's different from theirs. And so this is this is how it starts. Peter and Norman start working on ways to fix the villains. The first one they do is Doc Ock. And they make a contraption that goes on his, his neural implant. And they essentially fix Doc Ock. When they're moving on to Electro and the others, Electro and Sandman start talking and like, hey, this is not right, blah, blah, blah. They don't want to die. Um, and then Spider's, uh, Peter's Spidey Sense or Peter Tingle or whatever he calls it starts going off. He thwips Norman because Norman's the one to fucking break. And then all the heroes go ape shit. Norman and Peter get in this epic fight. Doc Ock runs away. All the heroes escape, and this is where Jamie Foxx's Electro gets the arc reactor, which makes him, like, next-level powered, right? So Norman is 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 powered up from his, his stuff. Electro is now super-powered with, with the arc reactor, Tony's arc reactor, and then, of course, Sandman's just OP because he's Sandman, and Dr. Connors escapes just because... He knew shit was going to hit the fan. He got out of there. He knew nothing would change. Unfortunately, this is also what causes the death of Aunt May. Now, to lose Marissa Tomei is a horrible, horrible thing. But this is where we finally get with great power comes great responsibility line in the MCU. So it looks like Uncle Ben never actually said that to Peter. We still don't know if there ever was an Uncle Ben, how he died, if it's tied in with Peter or not. Now... Now that we know the villains are on the loose, this is where things start kind of falling out of control. During the conflict with Doctor Strange when they locked him away in the mirror dimension, Ned actually took his sling ring, and we find out Ned has some magical abilities. So, while they're waiting to hear from Peter after seeing what happened, they start going, I want to see Peter Parker. Portal opens, we see a Spider-Man, and he's like looking, he comes jaunting in, it's fucking Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man from The Amazing Spider-Man. Obviously he's a little more grown, a little more depressed. They start testing him to see if he's really Spider-Man or Peter Parker. Turns out he is. Then they look again, looking for, for, for Tom's. And then we fucking see Toby step out from a rooftop. Both of them have been brought into our universe, but from different points in time. So that spider, the Andrew Spider-Man obviously is coming from a time after fighting Rhino. And Toby comes in as much older. So years, years, like current, essentially, if the 20 or so years had actually passed in the Tobyverse, and that's the Spider-Man that's coming in, right? One that's done a lot. Their dynamic is great. Uh, they start talking to Ned and MJ about where they can find Tom's Spider-Man. Obviously, he's upset over losing Aunt May. When he sees them, initially cautious, starts to fight with them, says they don't know, they all get emotional, and what unites them is with great power comes great responsibility. So even though Uncle Ben said it to both of them on the day he died, 
Aunt May said that to Tom's Peter the day she died. And that's when he knows he can trust them and work with them to move the story forward. This is when everything starts to to connect again. Um, Also during this whole thing, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonas Jameson has just been blasting Spider-Man, right? So that's part of how this story began and moves forward. This is another great scene. We finally get to see the three Peters working together. And they're all working on the cures again. This time they're going to use them and set up a a plan to to fight with all the villains, right? And them interacting with each other and Ned is hilarious and learning about each other. Andrew gets a great dig on Toby's Spider-Man. He's like, do you have your suit or are you just a youth pastor now? (laughs) It was funny. Um, But they, they get the cures done. You can hear them talking about... Uh, Andrew makes a great connection uh, uh, about how he lost Gwen, but he sees the love between MJ and Peter in this one. Uh, Toby's Peter talks about how he's thought about a cure for Norman Osborn for a long time, how he lost his best friend. Ned hears that and like goes to Peter, I will never hurt you or turn my back on you. It's funny because of how uh, uh, the, the different... Um, the, the different versions of Harry Osborne have always turned on Peter. Um, speaking of the Osbournes, let me go back a second. Let me dial it back. It, when, when Norman first goes to feast before all this happens, he talks about how like he's like complaining and Peter and May think he's kind of crazy. He's like, someone's living in my house. Oscorp doesn't exist. So that's a key point here. Oscorp does not currently exist in the MCU which is a very, very, very interesting thing. So that means we may never get a Harry Osborn in the MCU or an Oscorp because it, it you don't create a multi-billion dollar company overnight, right? Unless, obviously, multiverse shenanigans. But what this tells us is that the MCU is truly apart from established Spider-Man mythos and not having an Oscorp and not having a Norman Osborn or a Green Goblin or anything like that. And what this tells me, and this is what tells us, is Oscorp was rumored to be one of the ones that bought the former Avengers Tower, which makes me think it really will be become the new um, Baxter building for the, the, uh, the, the Fantastic Four. Probably not. Everyone's thinking it. Who knows? Anyway, getting back to the story. They start to plan... Uh, they start talking, the three Peters, they find out Toby shoots from his wrists, like literally his human body. And they're like, oh, it's kind of weird. And it's funny seeing that interaction. Um, and just like the, the Peters talking to each other and, and understanding like what they've been through and, and how to cope with things and deal with things. Um, and it, it their interactions and teaching each other is, is so great. Obviously, having Toby back as Spider-Man is amazing as well. Um, the fight keeps going forward. They keep fucking up because they keep calling Spider-Man and Peter. And obviously they're not used to that. Right. So they, they huddle up and they're like, I'm not used to working in a team. And then Tom's Peter goes, well, I am not to brag, but I'm in the Avengers. And this is one of the funniest lines. And like, Toby's like, well, that's cool, but I don't know what that is. And Andrew's like, are you in a, are you in a band? That's cool. You're in a band. 
It's like, no, no, but <laughs> it's 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 interesting to hear that they're the only superheroes still in, in their universe, right? It's like this universe, while similar, is is completely different. Um and this is when then after that they start getting the upper hand. Doctor Strange comes back, obviously, because they need his help, because reality literally fractures and other universes are start coming in. You see the silhouette of Rhino, you see the silhouette of a scorpion, you see all these different silhouettes of of different Spider-Man villains, because it turns out when Peter fucked up the spell, what it did is it drew every person from every universe that knew Peter Parker was Spider-Man into the uh, MCU. And if they weren't there already, they were about to come through. So there could have been an infinite number of Aunt Mays, there could have been an infinite number of Peters that we didn't see. There could have been Miles Moraleses we didn't see. Obviously, we know Miles is somewhat already in the MCU. So there, there's a lot of people being drawn in that we could have seen, but obviously they didn't do. This whole fight scene, by the way, is amazing. And yes, the the scene where the lizard is getting kicked in that Brazilian trailer does happen, and it is Andrew's Spider-Man. Um... It is Andrew Spider-Man who saves MJ as well, falling off the tower. So that was a, a rumor or a, a guess that people made that turned out to be true. Um, also, right when you think they're about to lose, Doc Ock comes in and actually helps them. And I love seeing his redemption because, yes, he got redeemed at the end of Spider-Man 2, the best Spider-Man, the second best Spider-Man movie now. It was nice to see his redemption happen in this movie, and it looks like it's going to stay. Um, and they they end up saving all the heroes, except Norman, who keeps fucking things up. And right when... So the main thing with the Spideys is they try to tell Tom, do not sacrifice yourself. Don't kill anyone, right? And because Green Goblin caused the death of Aunt May... He starts wailing on Norman, right? And this is when, right when he's about to kill him with the glider, Toby steps in and stops him. But Toby gets stabbed. But then they are able to get Norman his cure, and he's cured. And them, obviously the Peters seeing their villains and connecting with them after they're like cured is great. Peter and Doc Ock, great fucking moment because Peter you're so young or something and Peter's like I'm working on it right just being good and 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 being happy uh Andrew's connection with Max you know as a uh, uh uh Electro is great cuz he's like oh I thought you'd be black if you were helping black people and poor people from Queens obviously a hint at Miles um Toby's interaction with Sandman is great and him saving goblin though again just a great thing like despite everything he's done he still doesn't want goblin dead and obviously all the heroes all the villains are then saved right but what i loved about this is the interaction between the peters and the villains and then their redemptions right because you don't always get that in a in a superhero movie they're they're you don't get a lot of redemptions you don't get the villain sticking around what this this signifies, though, as they go back to their respective universes, is, and this is a uh, new rock stars pointed this out, 
Now we have potential for seven different new timelines to, to now be branched off, right? Now we have a timeline where Norman Osborn is no longer the Green Goblin and doesn't die. And there's probably no Doc Ock now in that universe because Harry doesn't go psycho and start funding projects. Now we have a universe where Doc Ock is redeemed, but he may still die uh, because his machine still needed to be dumped into the river, but at least he's redeemed sooner rather than later. Now we have a potential where Dr. Connors is back to human and he doesn't turn the city into lizards and he doesn't kill Captain Stacy. So that's an option now. We also have another one where Gwen Stacy might not die in her universe because Electro is saved before he is in Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Green Goblin doesn't necessarily show up or Gwen Stacy can get out before Green Goblin shows up, thus preventing her death. So those are potentials. Now we also have, we understand that Toby came from a farther point in time. So that one's said and done. That one can't change anymore. But then we also have the one that Andrew goes back to where he might be able to take what he's learned from the other Peters and apply that because he was fighting the, he was fighting the, the, the rhino, I think at the time. So there, there's, there's the potential for six or seven new timelines to be branched off from this. Uh, but this is where the kicker happens. Eventually, Peter has, after everything is said and done, Peter has Doctor Strange try the spell again, but this time with no exceptions. And literally everyone forgets him. And I mean everyone. And uh, Happy, um, Ned, MJ, Doctor Strange, all of them forget Peter. And he goes to try and reintroduce himself to MJ and he gets kind of nervous, but he's happy because she's still friends with Ned. And it's a little heartbreaking to see that, that he literally just let everyone forget him. And it, and it is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to watch. Um, and it, I just, it was a great way to cap that off. And like I said, the movie was fucking great. Seeing all the Spideys together, Willem Dafoe getting to do more as the Green Goblin, literally the best thing about the movie. Literally the best thing about the movie, hands down, hands down. Um, Ned looks like he may have magical power, so there might be a potential there for him to be doing stuff with Wong and Doctor Strange in the future. Uh, there is potential for MJ and Peter getting back together. Maybe she'll remember him or maybe she'll fall in love with him all over again. Um, this definitely opens the door for Miles to come in as well. I don't think anyone's coming back from the multiverse, but um, just the dynamics were great. Even Norman Osborn, like offering Peter a job, um, like if, if you're willing to travel across universes was fun. The thing I wish they had made mention of, but wasn't was Norman realizing that Dr. Connors from Garfield's universe was different from the Dr. Connors in the Toby verse. So that, that was, was something that was interesting to not see. Um, like I mentioned, Andrew's Spidey is a little more depressed. Obviously he's lost Gwen, things like that. Talked about not holding punches and, um, but there's a great scene with him and Toby where Toby's like, no, you are amazing. You are amazing. And just 
Uh, a lot like the scene in Goodwill Hunting where it's like, it's not your fault, right? And hearing him call him amazing is, is funny because he's the amazing spider. You get the point. Really great. Really great. The reason for Doctor Strange and, and Spidey to fight, totally realistic. Um, but at the same time, Peter, Ned, and MJ, well, Peter's really dumb. For for being really smart, he's also really dumb because this all happened because they didn't get into MIT and it was his fault and he didn't think to appeal. So yes, exactly like it's it's like I said, it's like the plot of accepted. You can't get into college, make your own college. Can't get into college, mess with the multiverse, right? You know, same 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 idea. Um and then no, it was just a great fucking movie. I got tears in my eyes multiple times. I loved seeing Toby back and them in their costumes and them fighting with their villains and, and redemption arcs. And I'm happy that Doc Ock ended up being a good guy again, right? Because he, he never really was truly bad. It was the arms that kind of took over, the AI and the arms. And it, it was nice, nice having him be the good guy. It was fun seeing the, the dynamic between Norman and the Green Goblin because that that is that was one of the best things about the original Spider-Man movie and having that back is a great way to kind of set off the what what was going to happen between all the villains in this one um and then just seeing the three spideys interact with each other like i said growing and learning from each other was was great um and like i said best MCU movie hands down they took everything they've learned another friend said this too everything they've learned and, and put it together to make and craft a great movie, well-written, funny jokes, not over-the-top, not meta, not not like over-fan-service-y or nostalgia-ridden or anything like that. It was just, it was great. And then, of course, the after credit scenes, one of which was the Doctor Strange 2 trailer, uh, but the other one was Eddie Brock from Venom at a bar in Mexico taking place just after the um the end credit scene from venom 2 and uh, it, he's being explained to about the whole situation in the mcu with the avengers and the snap and thanos and aliens and um and he's asking all these dumb questions and right as he decides like hey i should maybe go to new york and talk to this spider-man he fucking gets sent back to his universe but not before we see a bit of the Venom symbiote staying behind in the MCU. So if Spider-Man 4 happens, it will probably include the MCU's version of Venom. And as long as it's not Tom Hardy, I'm really okay with that. Because just that scene alone was so cringe. And I was like, how do people like watching a whole movie with this dynamic? I couldn't stomach a few minutes of it. Um, and kind of going back to some of the articles we were talking about before, you know, they, they were talking about Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige, their, how Spider-Man four could build off what Peter's learned from the other Peters. And now amazing Spider-Man three is now trending because fans want amazing Spider-Man three to now be made <laughs> following what Peter learned from the other Peters in no way home. Now, that could happen. That could happen. I don't know if, if it would. Um, 
I don't really like Andrew's Spider-Man. Uh, I like him more in in No Way Home than I did in the two No uh, Amazing Spider-Man movies. Um, would I want a third one? I don't know. A lot of people were hoping that he was going to stick around in the MCU. Um, a lot of people rumored thought that. I don't think that was ever going to happen. I could see that as a thing. Um, but I don't know if he would get a third movie, though. But if anything, this just cements that, that yes, Toby is still the best Spider-Man with the best Spider-Man story and villains, but this also signals that Tom and Tom's Spider-Man movies are the best interpretation on screen. Um, but like I said, No Way Home is the best Spider-Man movie and the best MCU movie. But Spider-Man 2 is still a very close second. But no, this movie was amazing. I loved it. It was great. I know I just kind of did a summary, but I was just trying to give my thoughts on it too. Um, I usually only do this with really big movies. Um, and, and obviously No Way Home was that. And, and I was so happy that it was true that Toby and Andrew were back. And I can't wait to watch this movie again. Uh, but that's it for Nixner News. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, like I said, next week might be our recap for the year. Might not be. Still deciding that. Um, for those of you who stick through, again, just make sure to check out NixnerNews.com. You can listen to the show in your browser. You can listen to it. Obviously, you're listening to it somewhere already. Um, but if it wasn't your preferred platform, now you can. Like iHeartRadio, we're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music now as well. Um, also, check out our social media tab on the website. You can f- see all of our feeds and posts. Otherwise, search for Nixner News on your preferred social media platform of choice. Uh, that is it for today, December 22nd. Happy Festivus tomorrow. Happy holidays to you if you celebrate Christmas or anything else. And of course, Happy New Year next week. And uh, of course, the Book of Boba Fett next week as well. Thank you guys, and I will catch you on the flip side.